Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. It's Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney on the EPL Preview Special Part 1. What's up, brother? Hey, brother. How are you? Doing well. Very excited about this, of course. Um, like we have talked about in the uh, past couple of weeks leading up to tonight, this is the start of our Premier League preview editions. It is, uh, we probably say this every year, it is beyond shocking how quickly that this has crept up on us. Um, obviously, that's due in part to everything that's happened this summer tournament-wise, from Copa America to the Euros to the Gold Cup to the Olympics. It has not stopped, even by soccer standards, it has not stopped. But here we are. The Premier League starts this weekend, so tonight is part one. Um, we're going to go through, like we do usually on these preview podcasts, we've got 10 big questions that we're going to roll through. So we got that tonight. Before we get into it, I just want to give a, a heads up about our part two, um, which is going to be coming to you later this week. Now, that one, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're planning on speaking with Danny Higginbotham, of course, former Premier League player, um, and you see him now at, at NBC Sports on the coverage of, of their coverage of the Premier League. So we're gonna we're planning on talking with him, which should be great. But also that podcast is is largely up to you, the people. That is where we do our EPL mailbag special. So as soon as you're listening to this right now, if you have a question that strikes you, send it, whether it's through Twitter at CO Soccer Pod, uh, on email at uh, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, uh, Instagram, caught offside ESPN on Instagram, any way that you can get to us. An iTunes review, hell, that that's probably the best of all of them for visibility purposes. But yeah, and once you listen to this podcast, you know, maybe your team isn't going to get mentioned tonight. I apologize in advance, but if that's the case, you have the power to ensure that your team gets mentioned before these previews are all said and done. So tonight, the 10 questions, and then Thursday, uh, we'll have for you the mailbag special, Danny Higginbotham, and our predictions for the season as well. So I'm super excited about this. Now, JJ, before we do get into the Premier League, you and I, we were talking leading up to to recording tonight. Yes. And we were basically saying to each other, you know, this is great. I'm super excited to talk about the Premier League. It's our favorite league. There's a lot to get into. But we're kind of recording this in an extraordinary moment in soccer history where easily the the biggest story in the sport and in all of world sports right now really has nothing to do with the Premier League and it has everything to do with La Liga and Ligue 1 and more so Lionel Messi as his move to PSG became official today. And I kind of said to you, and you agreed, that just like, I don't know how we get together tonight to do a podcast where we don't at least mention our, our thoughts on what has gone down over the last 48 hours or so. No, it's it's ex, it's extraordinary. It's it's something we thought we'd never see, particularly after the the debacle last summer, where you know he wanted to go and then he decided to stay. We thought that would be it; he would be in uh, Catalonia forever, and uh, it's not the case anymore. It's it's over. He is most definitely now a PSG player. Um, it, it was strange to see him at the at the at the Parc de Prince tonight, walking off the field wearing basketball shorts. Uh, which of course are the uh, the Nike kind of J- Jordan version soccer shorts, um, and it it, w- it was weird. The whole thing today was weird. The the huge amount of security that that guarded him um, on his way to his his signing or his unveiling or whatever you want to call it, um, and then there was of course the video that goes viral, which is uh, Messi talking in 2019 about how it was a mistake for Neymar to join PSG. <laughs> All that stuff kind of just 
coming together and he looks weird. He'd look weird in any shirt. Yeah. Sometimes I look at him in the Argentina shirt and it looks a bit weird, but it looks especially weird in the colors of another club. It's um, it's kind of sad today, actually, to see it. Yeah, I actually, that was how I felt, too. Um, there was a clip of him leaving his home in Barcelona. And when I saw, you know, I clicked on the clip. I hadn't seen the video yet. I just saw the description and I saw like a still frame of the cars pulling out of the driveway. And when I when I went to click on it, I was anticipating hearing adulation and screams, Leo, Leo. And I clicked on it and watched the video and I was struck by the silence of it. And the people outside his home and there was no cheering. It was funereal in in the sound or the lack of sound. Like this this hero is leaving this club and these people and this city that he spent most of his life with at least certainly all of his professional life and his connection even though he's not from Barcelona or from Catalonia or from Spain his connection with that city is unlike almost any professional athlete I can ever think of in terms of their connection to their specific cities and watching him leave and the silence of the crowd outside of his home as they took pictures of the cars going by Leo's uh, Leo's car and his father's car on their way to the airport to go to Paris it was it was sad it was sad and you've seen these videos of, of fans in Barcelona that are just they can't believe what's happened. And, and that was something I mentioned the other night that I still feel. I just, I never thought it could end like this, where both the player and the club, presumably, wanted this marriage to continue. And yet it can't. I just, I don't think I've ever seen it. I've been trying to think of, of other stars in other sports over the years and the way that relationships have ended. You know, Tom Brady wanted to leave the Patriots. Like, that was a marriage that ended. Michael Jordan and the Bulls, that was a, a weird thing that with a retirement, and then there was a lot to that. But, like, in its simplest form, it seemed like this was a relationship that both parties wanted to have continue. And for it to not be able to, it almost makes me think that there's something structurally wrong here. I understand why La Liga has the rules that they have in place, and they need to enforce them. I don't think they can make special exemptions for certain clubs. But I just feel like if the biggest star in your sport's history is unable to remain with a club that wants him, that he's so inextricably linked to, that everybody wants this marriage to continue, but the rules won't allow it. I almost feel like you got to go back to the drawing board and see, okay, what is what is systemically wrong here that won't allow this to continue? And how can we prevent it from happening again? I mean, the systems that are wrong are, are is Barcelona hiring and firing policy for the last decade. Mm-hmm. That's what's wrong. What's wrong is is being... is is having a president that will trip triple uh, Lionel Messi's wages, um, you know, and that was that that contract was signed X amount of years ago. Um, it's it's signing it's signing players that aren't suited to Barcelona and paying them exorbitant wages. You know, this was coming. This is a mess of Barcelona's own making. And you know, it, what you're saying is music to their ears. You know, this is this is like, oh, they'd love to hear someone go to bat for them like you've just gone to bat for them there against La Liga. It's not La Liga's fault. This is a Barcelona mess, as is Real Madrid's mess. And they tried to extricate themselves from this mess with the Super League, you know. And now, today, Real Madrid have launched a, a lawsuit against La Liga, um, both criminal and civil. It's criminal and civil case, according to the Communicado Oficial. And they are going to try and take on, um, you know, they're going to try and take on the league because they don't want CVC funding La Liga, the um, the private in, uh, equity company. And, right. 
it's just insane to me that, uh, you know, this is just them trying to get out of the box they've put themselves in for decades in Real Madrid's case and recent decades in Barcelona's case of, of mismanagement of their own clubs. Yeah, that is true. I mean, some of it is certainly incompetence on their own part. Some of it is like, so when this all happened with Messi, instantly, what was it that you and I said about where he could go? We said, well, there's really only two clubs that can that can have him in Manchester City and PSG. Like, So there are no surprises here of how this is playing out. And you wonder, that, okay, I mean, the mismanagement... That in and of itself, is, that's the grim part well, for me. But you're it's, right, because Barcelona... And look, I, I know that I am positioning them as the underdog, you know, fighting for, for the little guy here. Obviously, that's asinine, so try not to read into what I'm saying as that. But Barcelona, in, in some of the mistakes that they've made financially is partially trying to keep up with the money that have gone into Manchester City and PSG. 100%. And so, like, yeah, there's like PSG and Man City, because of the money that's behind them, and I have to say up to this point, because of the, the meek way in which UEFA has enforced their FFP policies, like PSG and Man City, can out, they can outspend their mistakes. Like, this is silly money for them. But Barcelona, Real Madrid, they can't. This is the result of them trying to outspend mistakes. Now they got to say goodbye to their their legend, their hero in Leo Messi. As it, much as I disagreed with what you said first off, I totally agree with, with with your last few thoughts there. That's absolutely true, and that's the problem. Like you know, Manchester City fans and and PSG fans get upset when they say oh, when they're criticised for their model, if you want to call it, you know, petrol oil producing states buying these clubs and having unlimited wealth. And, but really, they're this black vortex that is sucking in all the talent and is that ri- and it's raising prices across European football to the point where like two of the iconic clubs of European soccer are, I mean, in Barcelona's case, it's, they're in severe financial distress. Like, I mean, we still don't know the extent to which they'll be able to register players at the moment. Right. Um, and, and it's just not a good thing. It's just not a good thing to have this centralization of wealth and cash. No, the Premier League is problematic too with its TV deal. It's not fair just to pile on Manchester City. The TV deals that the Premier League have been able to, to strike around the world have have made it very difficult for so many different leagues, including the league <laughs> that Messi's gone to. Imagine how you're, an, if you're an executive of League On, Andrew, the trouble they've had getting a TV deal for this league. Mm-hmm. The unbelievable problems they've had. The, the TV company that has reneged on its uh, saying we basically don't have the money to pay for any of this. And now, all of a sudden, they've got the world's best player in their league. Amazing. And hang on a second. BN Sport, which has the international rights for League On and the rights in America, are owned by whom? Nasser Al Khalifi, the owner of PSG. It's just perfect. It's unbelievable. Um, A a couple of the things that I, I wonder about here in the situation so Barcelona Real Madrid clubs like this are upset presumably I mean I don't know if I've heard them say this but we're kind of speaking for them with the way that Manchester City and PSG can flex financial muscle but like to flip this you know are we pre that pre that money coming into Man City and PSG go back 10-15 years before that really took hold like 
Barcelona and Real Madrid were those clubs doing Barcelona, the, doing Real this. Real Madrid, Manchester United, right? Inter, doing this in, very same thing to Inter you know AC. Yeah, absolutely. So Andrew, it's but, so it's almost hard. Like now, okay, like the shoe is on the other foot now. This is what they did to clubs for years no, and years and years. No, the shoe the shoes are on two feet now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point and, and and look that was not a good system either like we we interviewed Arsene Wenger uh last November or December and he spoke to us about that even before Manchester City there was what he called financial doping which was a real problem like the established clubs uh, in Liverpool uh, take for example Liverpool and Manchester United in England the established clubs in England always had the ability to do what I said be a vortex and suck talent away because they could always pay the higher wages and it was just due to their history and every club was struggling to compete but Andrew you don't solve a problem like I I don't make up if I've punched you in the jaw Andrew I don't make make it up to you by then kicking you in the stomach do you know what I mean like the, the, having Manchester City and PSG and clubs of that nature is not a response or doesn't solve the inequities of European football not that that's the point you were trying to make. No, that's not what I was trying to make. That's I get what you're saying. The point that I was trying to make is that there's probably a lot of clubs out there that are kind of laughing at Barcelona and Real Madrid right now, saying this is what you did to us. And now like now you want to cry poverty or, or you want to cry foul when these clubs are doing it to you. Andrew, I have so much to say on this. I've been doing a lot of Barcelona reading over the last couple of days. But I will have to keep my powder dry, as the phrase goes, because we'll be talking about that next week, I believe. Uh, yeah, so Simon Cooper, uh, author, writer, uh, has a an unbelievably timed book that's just coming out uh, in what a week or two weeks about a week about Leo Messi and his impact with Barcelona, and so we're going to be speaking with him in the coming days uh, about his book, about this, everything that has happened, why, how we got to this point, and what Messi has meant to this club, and where the club goes from here in a reality without him. Can they still be the force that they've been really throughout their history, but now in a, in a post-Messi universe, it just, I don't know, it just feels like I feel differently about Barcelona with him not being there. I mean, already with Xavi, Iniesta, as some of these greats, uh, you know, Pique and Puyol over the years, they faded away, and and it you know you look a little bit differently at Barcelona. But when Messi leaves, I mean, this is like, I don't know, this is like the sun leaving the solar system. Like, what next? So yeah. yeah, we'll talk with Simon Cooper about that before we get off of this and move to the EPL preview, which I know is why most of you are here. Although I'm guessing all of you who love this sport are interested in this topic on Messi. This is like unbelievable what we've been watching. Uh, real quick on PSG, um, so now. We're looking at a team that has Messi, Mbappe, Neymar as a front three. Uh, they've brought in, I mean, and the fact that they've done all this business on free transfers with Ramos and Messi and Wijnaldum, um, whom I, there was, there's somebody else too that I'm forgetting. Um, but at any rate, it, this team is insane, and I've, I've, I've kind of heard the narrative put out Donnarumma. there. Yeah, Donnarumma, that's right, their goalkeeper who just won uh, keeper of the tournament at the Euros. I mean, my God, it's it's madness, uh, and uh, so. Like I will say, credit to PSG. Yeah, they got to pay all this money in wages, but they've done a lot on free transfers. So, um, you know, at, at least they're keeping their spending in check somewhat in that way. The thing I've heard now with regards to the upcoming season, and more so with the Champions League, is that this Champions League now almost feels like a foregone conclusion. I would caution people to pump the brakes on that. I'm not. I don't feel that way. I'm not saying the PSG won't be great, and they would probably be my fa- probably they will be my favorite to win it, but. 
a front three, let me ask you right now, a front three of, of Messi at 34, uh, Mbappe and Neymar, Mbappe at the beginning of his prime, Neymar right in the middle of it. Is that a more intimidating front three than the Messi, Neymar, Suarez front three at Barcelona? And that no, team, I, don't, I mean, that I team didn't win every so. year. And that team had Iniesta and, and other greats. And I'm, PSG do too. But it wasn't a foregone conclusion necessarily that that Barca team was going to win every year. So I, I'm not willing to say that this is any kind of foregone conclusion whatsoever. No, and, and sport has a way of, of humbling the mighty. And I think it was only a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the business that PSG were doing, signing Donnarumma. By the way, signing Sergio Ramos, who will now be a teammate of Lionel Messi. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, but uh, we, we talked about this team and, you know, I'm not fully convinced about them defensively. As good as, you know, Marquinhos is, as experienced as Ramos is, um, Kimpembe not convinced by, you know, there's... There's ways to get at them. And also, you mightn't have to get at them because look at their record over the last few seasons. Maybe this it changes this season, but Neymar's never been 100% fit for them when it came to the business end of the Champions League. And Mbappe struggled with injury last season too. So I, I would tend to err on the side of caution before I go piling money on with them. Yeah, and there's a lot of players that are going to be on this team. Like, for, you know, the, the back three that you mentioned, Marquinhos, Kimpembe, Ramos, I actually do think highly of those players. But we all know that in this sport, defending is a team concept. It doesn't necessarily just fall to those players at the back. And so I just wonder, okay, they've put together an outrageously talented, you know, all-time great attack-minded team. But do they have players that will buy into any kind of team concept when it comes to defending and having to track back? I don't know. So well, like those, guys, those three at do. the back might be very good. But, but I just wonder, is like, like could any back three without help from other parts of the field be able to withstand that? Yeah, I know. But I'm, I'm going to correct course a little bit on this. And like someone like Verratti is a, a top quality professional. And I don't think you, you could question him in that regard there. Um, they've got other midfielders as well that will do that job. I'm I'm just saying it. People shouldn't, you know, jump to to conclusions yet. I I still think it's going to be fascinating. The ex- uh, and as much as I hate this project, I can't wait for the book that's going to come out about it. Yeah. Uh, the XG philosophy, JJ. They, they tweeted the um, expected goals per ninety minutes last season. <laughs> for Messi, it was 0.82. Neymar's was 0.84 and Mbappe was 0.87. So their XG per 90 minutes was two and a half goals per game. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're sitting here talking about, like, oh, I don't know if they're going to be able to defend. Well, if their team is scoring three goals, like, at least on a nightly basis, like, how much, I don't know, how much defending are you going to have to really do? Hey, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Messi is going to be on a team. Because I, I know I'm not, not obviously speaking for everyone in the in the you know the Spanish speaking world because I know it's not the case that there's a lot of Real Madrid fans out there fans of other teams too I understand that but where I come from it was such a joy to watch Messi that you you rooted for Barcelona unless they were against your team you rooted for them always mm-hmm. and now he's going to be on a team who are the death star they are the bad guys and it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to root against them so keep your eyes open for the uh, the interview that we're going to have coming up probably early next week. I would say uh, most likely Tuesday you'll see that come out with Simon Cooper, the author of this book about Messi and Barcelona. I can't wait to speak. I, I have so many questions. It's, again, it, the big thing, the biggest question that I have for him that you and I can't answer, we can only speculate on, is I, I just keep wondering, JJ, if Barcelona, if John Laporta, if if he knew all along 
because you hear these stats about even if Messi had volunteered to play the season for free, they still would not have been able to do it within the parameters of La Liga's rules. And and it wouldn't oh. have even been close. And so, like, I know Barcelona and Laporta were saying that, you know, well, we just got back our financial audit. We, don't, we didn't know until now. BS. There's just no way. The numbers are not close enough where you couldn't have possibly known until hours before Messi was supposed to sign this deal. This felt to me like they, to me, I'm saying, my conspiracy theory, they always knew. They always knew that this relationship wasn't going to continue, but they were trying to save face. Remember, Laporta basically won this election by, we always said, a vote for Laporta was a vote for Messi to remain at the club. So, like, he got into office on that. I think he knew we can't do this, but I can't. I can't make it look like I'm the one who's forcing him out now after saying that I want him to stay. So I think that this was the way that they went about it. That is my opinion. I can't wait to ask Simon if what he thinks, if, if Barcelona always knew that this relationship was going to have to end and they just didn't know how to manage it. Andrew, I'm going to stop you there because I could talk forever about that that particular wrinkle in, in this amazing story. Um, you're onto something there, but uh, we will save it. We, otherwise, who's going to talk about Brentford? You really have a way of transition. You're a master of the transition. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm not even going to attempt a transition from this into Brentford or whatever. So let's go ahead. Let's take a quick break. We'll we'll gather ourselves. We'll take off our messy jerseys. We'll come back. We'll put on our Brentford kits. Full kit. FKW Brentford. We'll come back and we'll begin our 2021-22 EPL preview. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. The season is upon us. It begins this weekend. The Premier League returns. What a season this should be. I cannot wait. I am so excited for so many different reasons. JJ, I have here in front of me our list of 10 questions. We love to do this every year. We've got our big questions. We run through them. We both have our answers. I don't know how I haven't seen. I don't know how much overlap there there will be. Um, So here we go. First question, JJ. Like you teased going into that break coming out of the messy segment, which newly promoted side will finish the highest? You want to go first? Yeah, let me go first, Andrew. I'm going to say it's going to be Norwich, who are back up after a season's, uh, let's call it a sabbatical in the championship. Uh, The Canaries romped home in that division, won it comfortably and in some style. So Daniel Fark is still at the helm. There are some familiar faces at Carrow Road, like Timo Pukki, and the style of play remains the same, although I think they'll probably aim to be a bit more conservative than last time they were in the Premier League. Uh, Statsbomb tells us that Norwich led the league and completed through passes and creating clear-cut shots in the box, which means Norwich are a potent side. Now, Andrew, I hear what you are saying. I hear what everyone is shouting at their listening device right now. They've lost their best player and the championship's best player last season to Aston Villa, which was Emi Bundia. But that is true. Fark hasn't rested on his laurels. And if it's one thing that Norwich have been good at in recent seasons under the German, it's canny recruitment. They've raided Werder Bremen for their attackers. Uh, Rashica and uh, some guy called Josh Sargent hmm. uh, are both joining for under 20 million, which is a, a nice little steal from them. Add to that, Scotland's greatest ever player, Billy Gilmore in midfield. Uh, the one-time uh, prolific Instagrammer, Todd Cantwell, he's back. And, uh, of course, the aforementioned Timo Pukki. This will probably blow up in my face, but to me, they feel like a team ready for re-entry. 
Interesting. Yeah, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. I'm going to go in a different direction, but I think that you make good points there. I wouldn't I wouldn't fight you on it. Uh, I went with Watford, JJ. Now, for what it's worth, the betting markets do not agree. Uh, they are not bullish on this Watford team. They've been tabbed to finish dead last in the league this season. So just know that uh, their manager Zisco Munoz. He was, last season was so weird for them. He was a, a bizarre kind of midseason appointment from Dinamo Tbilisi in Georgia. Up to this point, though, they have really not taken many significant steps to bolster their squad for a Premier League run. So I, I get why the betting markets are what they are. Unconventional manager, um, not a lot of activity activity in the transfer window, but there are things to like about them. Let's go through it. I've said this before. I said it about Leeds last year. I know everybody talks about Leeds in attack, but Leeds' defensive record was actually very good in the championship. And I said I think defense travels from the championship to the Premier League, sometimes better than a prolific attack does. Uh, this is from Statsbomb. From the time Munoz was appointed, Watford conceded just 15 goals and approximately 20 expected goals, both league-best rates, over the 26-game period in which the Spaniard was in charge. That's phenomenal. Um, getting good scoring opportunities against them is hard. They conceded a run-of-the-mill amount of shots. Not extraordinary, but the quality of those shots was trash. Their XG per shot conceded was just 0.07, far and away the best in the league last year. Meanwhile, they've retained some of their most important players thus far in the window. Uh, Ismelia Saar, Will Hughes, Nathaniel Chalaba. I know Saar, I think, was being linked to Liverpool, JJ, at points, but they haven't made a yeah, move. for the last year. Yeah, so, uh, so they've kept these three guys, which I think are key, um, and so I'll go with Watford. Again, I don't think you're crazy for your Narch City. I think there's things to like about them, but I'll say Watford. While we're here, it is worth mentioning one note on Brentford. Uh, they're back in the first division, JJ, for the first time since the 1940s. Unbelievable. It's it's an unbelievable story. And, um, and you know, they, the way that they've done it, they were one of the first clubs to have this this in-depth analytics department to really pay attention to stats to really pay attention to recruitment um and um yeah they've they've just been this club like they were a club my uncle used to live in that part of london and you know all he could say about brentford was i used to go to brentford to watch the football because it was around the corner and they had a pub on each corner of the ground oh cool where in london is brentford i, I i'm like in no way familiar really Actually, that's a good question. Let me look that up exactly. Is it? I think it's. Well, have you ever it, been to your uncle's house? I mean, can't you? No, answer? he does. He, he lived there when I was but a boy. All right, you Andrew. didn't visit him as, as a child. This is. I don't know. That sounds like there's deeper issues here that only a therapist could really dig into. Uh, this Brentford squad, JJ, has a grand total of ten minutes of EPL experience. If you can tell me who the player is that has those ten minutes of experience, I'll give you whatever money's in my wallet right now, unless you cheat. And if you get it right, I'll assume you cheated. So never mind. Uh, Brentford is West London. Uh, go Say that again, Andrew. Uh, their squad, Brentford has, a, if you go across their entire squad, they have mm -hmm. a grand total of 10 minutes of EPL playing experience. Can you tell me which player it is that has those 10 minutes of experience? Um, is it Ivan Tony? Yes, it is. And you, there's no way you could have known that. I said I would give you whatever money's in my wallet. I'm a liar. I won't give you anything. I assume you cheated. There's no way a normal human being should have known that. He no, featured, he did. He was at. He wasn't. He I can't remember what club matches. he was at. He was at Newcastle. He was at Newcastle. He featured right. in two matches one season as a sub. <laughs> well, well, Ivan Tony features later on in in, in a different different uh, part. Oh, of so the you 10 had gone questions. deep on Ivan Tony. This is not fair. I walked no, right into a trap. No, but everyone knew he had, he had a he was a failure at Newcastle, and they thought this guy's going to disappear down the leagues. Forget about him. And all of a sudden, he's like the championship's best striker. I walked right into a trap. 
Uh, <laughs> all right, so that was that. Let's go to the second question here, JJ. Which club who finished outside of the top four last season has the best chance of finishing inside the top four this season? Oh, boy. Now, you're going to be able to chime in on this ad nauseum. So uh, buckle up, guys. This is going to be a Tottenham answer. Oh. Uh, I'm going to say Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I'm not saying this will happen, okay? It will be very difficult. But the question said chance, mm-hmm. and Tottenham have a squad that should be in with a chance. Nuno Espirito Santo will have way more tools at his disposal than he did at Wolves. And who knows? He might set up differently with that in mind. I read a report that he was even tinkering with 4 3 3 during this preseason. So Son and Kane will lead the line. You would expect Kane will still be around. Uh, Fabio Partici is the new director of football and has nabbed young winner, winger, excuse me, winner, winger, Brian Heal from Ibar and Serie A defender of the year, Christian Romero from Atalanta. But new recruits aside, guys, there is still Lucas Mora, Stephen Bergwijn, Deli Alley, Hoiberg, Doherty, Winks, Roden, Davies, Sissoko, Regulant, Lacelso, Aurier. If he can't get a tune out of these players, Andrew, I would be very surprised. And that is a squad that should be pushing for European places, pu- pushing for top four. Now, I took the liberty of experimenting with this Tottenham 4 3 3. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, what do you mean? Experiment? Like you filled this, in your this, lineup? What it I just would be? picked off the top of my head. I just jotted down a team because I do think there's quality in this squad, despite the narrative that there 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 hasn't been replenishment and this team hasn't been you know looked after in the last few years. Maybe not under Pochettino, but they have signed some players. So you'll have Ugolaris and goals, centre backs Ramirez, Ramirez and Dyer. Dyer could be swapped out for Roden. You mean Daherty. Romero? What's that? Christian Romero. Romero, excuse yeah. me, Ramirez. Daherty on the right, Regilon on the left, uh, Sissoko, Hoiberg, and Lo Celso in the midfield. Uh, a combative and exciting midfield, I think you'd call that. And up front, Son, Kane, and Mora. What's wrong with that? So, a couple things. First of all, I would take Sissoko out and put Tangi and Dombele in. Okay. You know what I think of him. Now, I know there's been some weirdness going on with Ndombele that he's not happy because it looks like Sissoko and Aurier might be out. I think that someone has to go, Andrew, to balance the books here. So if those two leave, the, the story is that those are two of Ndombele's closest friends, and he's not happy. Uh, I don't. If that's true, um, like I, I don't. I don't know. I get that it's hard to watch friends leave, but like you can't. This is your career. This is your profession. This isn't like some hangout. Like I hope that's not true, and I hope I hope Tengi Ndombele comes back and everything's all good because you know. Uh, even when things were bad with him in his first year, there were there I was always supporting him and thinking that he looked like a real player. And so I want to see him now in year three because I think it's like his time is arriving. So I would get him in the starting eleven, uh, undoubtedly. Look, obviously, so much of what you just said hinges on Kane. Like right now, I I guess I'm assuming he's going to be back. He he's Andrew. He is caught here. He is apps. They have negotiated themselves or not negotiated themselves into an absolute corner here. He's playing until uh, Levy decides that he's not. Yeah. Um, so to, to use that as a transition, I guess, from your answer to mine, um, I would say this. I, I agree with you. That Tottenham would be my answer as well. However, uh, let's use this as an opportunity to talk about... Leicester City, JJ, because I'm on record... The fabulous foxes have done it again. I'm on record saying... uh, I remember saying this after what happened at the end of last season, where they fell out again. 
where I basically said that I am now in a place with Leicester when it comes to finishing top four, where I now need to see it to believe that they'll do it. Um, this year, it's going to be even harder, like you said. We'll talk about you know top four clubs and all that a little bit later. Um, breaking through that wall is going to be really hard, but that doesn't mean that Leicester City are suddenly going to fade into oblivion. Um, I know that there's going to be people who worry about Jamie Vardy's advancing age, but Kalechi Iheanacho seemed to finally get comfortable at this club last season. The signing of speedy Patston Daka from Red Bull Salzburg, uh, Red Bull Salzburg came in in the Community Shield and made a great first impression, I thought. Um, and the thing also that's interesting with Leicester, this is going to be an Africa Cup of Nations year. And some of Leicester's key players are African players. They're going to lose some of these guys during that time. But Daka's, uh, Daka's from Zambia. They did not qualify. So he will remain in England during that tournament. Um, look, obviously I'd feel more comfortable about Leicester heading into the season had Fafana not gotten hurt. That's brutal. But like, let's just look at their defense. There might be some. They're going to need to boost depth at center back, sure. But they do still have Sayunchu. They have Johnny Evans, who is working back from an injury as well. But he should be back, I think, sometime in early to mid September. Ricardo Pereira, James Justin, Timothy Castagna. I mean, there's like those are great players who would start for most teams in this league. Um, and let's look further up the field. Look at their midfield. You know, at time of recording, so right now it's Tuesday, 7.45 Eastern time. They still have Yuri Tielemans, Wilfred Ndidi, James Madison. So, like, I don't know. I think it's still a great team. Now, Madison is an interesting one, JJ, because I like guys who have a chip on their shoulder and play with, like, something to prove. And I think Mm. it's fair to say that Madison's rep took a little bit of a hit last season. Some of it, you know, he missed time in injury, through injury, but there was also talk of you know falling outs with the manager. I think two years ago, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but two years ago, wouldn't you say most of us kind of had Madison and Grealish on the same level? Oh, there definitely was an overlap there, yeah. certainly. When they were both, I think they were both in the championship at the same time, uh, there was certainly an overlap, uh, one at Norwich and one at, at Villa. Yeah, and I just feel like Grealish has passed him, oh, yeah. and I'm just curious to see now. Presu- assuming that you know he remains healthy, I'm curious to see how Madison is able to respond. So, um, yeah, don't nobody should be writing off Leicester City just because you know their their last two seasons have ended in top four heartbreak. Granted, they we had Andy May tell us that last season forget the top four. The fact that they won an FA Cup made last season an incredible triumph for them. So. I wouldn't say Leicester City are going anywhere just yet. They should be a great team once again. No, I think that's a fair shout. By the way, before we go on to the next question, I never asked you, if I was to get what's the, in the contents of your wallet right now, what would I get? An old blockbuster video card? Oh, shri- I, shri- I, I meant money. I, I didn't think that you were going to be taking like my ID and my No, like, but my is there any money in your wallet? Like, is there, yeah, cash? Is there cash yeah, what in my wallet? Get, yeah, what let's see. I'll count right now. Uh, let's see. Ten... 11. I keep some. All right, that's mine. That's the Ivan Tony bounty. I mean, look, it's not a fortune, but I'm not happy about it. I'll say that right now. All right, you can Venmo me. We'll see. Uh, all right, next one, JJ. Which manager? Oh, this is the, the dark, the dark question. Which manager is entering this season on the hottest seat? I'm, I'm going to say, Andrew, that it's a new manager, <laughs> and his name is Patrick Vieira. So let me set this one up for you, okay? So when Roy Hodgson left Crystal Palace after four seasons in charge, he left with two records. Palace's highest points total in 1819, highest points total ever in the top flight, and securing a record four seasons in the top flight, four consecutive seasons. They'd never done it before. 
who would you pick to take over from this ultra-experienced old man of the Premier League? Well, Palace decided upon Patrick Vieira. Hmm. If you knew exactly what you were getting from Roy Hodgson, that's less the case with the Frenchman. While he had a form of success at NYCFC, even though all I can remember is his bemused face when Josie Altidore and Toronto went to town at Yankee Stadium on them one time. What was it, 6-0 or something? Nice didn't go very well in League On, and if you are a Palace fan reading this from December 2020, you might be a bit concerned about your new appointment. So I read this. I did a bit of uh, snooping mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't really pay that much attention to his time at Nice. I know they had one good finish in his first season. They finished like fifth, but everything after that was pretty bad. Uh, so this is from The Guardian, Adam White and Eric Devon. Uh, Vieira's philosophy was close to indecipherable. When asked about his style of play by L'Equipe, Upon his arrival at the club in 2018, Vieira had been vague. I'll try to impose a style of play with lots of one-twos, but play attacking football, all while having a compact defensive block, he said. Taking risks to score as many goals as possible is something that I am ready to do. What matters for me is getting the most out of my players while playing well. I don't think there is a system or style of play that is better than another. Great coaches like Mourinho, Wenger, Guardiola have different philosophies, but they all have won. Like, uh, like Antonio Conte has done at Chelsea. Like, that is the, one of the truly great non-answers. Mm-hmm. All right, so this Palisade is not exactly brimming with quality, so Vieira needs an effective method of play immediately. And I got worried at the weekend. They played a friendly game. I think it was against Watford. Zaha scores two goals, and, and Vieira responds that he wants Zaha to keep improving and to be more defensive-minded Right. That I mean, that suggests a pragmatic approach, but it also suggests what are you saying? Don't say stuff like this. This is one player you need to keep on side. The other players are Eparechi Eze, uh, Connor Gallagher. Um, They're going to be key creative players and Vieira needs to know exactly how he's going to get the best out of them. So I think straight away, just like Ronald Koeman was Ronald Koeman. Ronald DeBoer, Ronald DeBoer, Frank DeBoer. <laughs> what are you doing? I got there in the end. Frank DeBoer, just like Frank DeBoer came in after Sam Allardyce, it was experienced coach and then kind of Premier League novice. Yeah. This is an experienced coach and a Premier League novice. I don't know why Palace have done it, but I worry it's going to not, it's going to blow up in their faces again. Well, it went so well with Frank, I figure why not try to have history repeat itself? <laughs> I, I, you know, at least. Frank came in with 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 a, a more padded out CV. You know, he had championships at Ajax. Did he have a championship or did he have a he had a cup or, or something at at Inter? You know, I mean, what is Vieira bringing? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really have an answer to that. I mean, reputation, but that's as a player, not as much as a manager. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's fair enough. The only reason I would tend well. I just don't know that Palace are that are a club that would do that again. That would be it willing like to like, have. No, but I'm saying do that again in terms of firing a manager within his first season. Like, are they a club that wants to keep having to pay out buyouts to managers they, in they, year one? They're a club that is that has to stay in the Premier League. That's what they are. That's true too. Uh, so the two names that strike me for this uh, kind of <laughs> this first one. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this, but the the first one that kind of just struck me was Rafa Benitez, um, oh, yeah. another first year manager. A couple reasons for this: one, um, the sense that I have gotten from the fan base is that they are not happy about this appointment. Maybe that's just the people that I have spoken to or seen on Twitter, but. 
that's the sense I get. So if it's bad early, it just feels like this could become really toxic really fast. And then the other thing is his contract isn't necessarily massive. Now, to clarify that, the money is massive, but the years aren't. So a buyout wouldn't be completely out of the realm of possibility, especially with a billionaire, Farhad Moshiri, uh, at the helm. Um, and then the other one that I was thinking about was Mikel Arteta. So he was he was appointed on December 22nd, 2019. So we're coming up on two years with him in charge. doesn't sound like a ton of time, but J.J., in today's soccer culture, at a club like that, two years is more than enough time to make a judgment on someone. I don't know that it's always fair, but that's just the reality of jobs at clubs of Arsenal stature right now. So, you know, and, and look, they backed him. They just dropped $50 million, uh, on Ben White in defense. So we better not see the same sort of defensive shortcomings that have really plagued this team in past years. Or these you know, whispers are going to turn louder as to whether or not this has been the player's fault or the manager's fault. So I do think there's there's some pressure on him. There's low morale, it feels like, around that club a little bit. And uh, when that happens, you know, they can't fire the players. That's, so. that's two good choices, actually. And and look, Arsenal, at least in Arteta's, like, coming into the, the season just passed, Arteta could say, hey, we had the FA Cup. Now what's he saying coming into this season? They have nothing. They're not even in Europe. So you're dead right there. Not even in the Europa Conference. Not even in the Kentucky Fried League of Europa. Were they in the who? They weren't in the Florida Cup either, right? Oh uh, no! If you're not in the Florida Cup, forget about it. That was Everton. Yeah, uh, JJ. There's an unbelievable thunderstorm happening outside of the studio right now. Uh, I'm, in, uh, I'm yeah. in our beautiful caught offside towers, and like it, it's just like constant lightning going on. I'm distracted by it. Yeah, I'm in my apartment, quite close to a window, so I feel safe. <sighs> really, something that weather. All right, next one. Uh, yes, please. Which club do you see making the biggest jump in the table from where they were a year ago to now, or this season? Um, I went with Leeds United after some deliberations here, and look, how big? What were they ninth last year? Yeah. How, so, if they're going to make a, the biggest jump of anyone in the table, you're putting them in the top four, essentially. No, I'm putting them challenging for Europe. Okay. That's a significant jump, Andrew. That is a that is entering that is cracking a crust for them, definitely. I don't see West Ham and David Moyes um, holding on to that sixth place position. I see that being vacated as hard as I've tried, and I'm not trying to be mean to West Ham fans. I just don't see back to back seasons like that at the London Stadium. So who takes their place? And I feel like Leeds are in the reckoning. Um, now I have some reservations. I was reading Dave Chapman his preview in four four two. And that made me think twice a little bit because internally, Leeds' aim last season was just to stay up. Just stay up, finish 17th, 16th, didn't matter. That was it. The fact that they finished 9th was an outstanding achievement. The highest points totaled by a newly promoted side in 20 years. Hmm. Now, they shipped plenty of goals, uh, 15 from set pieces, went to Old Trafford and, and conceded 60. And that won't do this season. Is Patrick Bramford going to equal or best his tally of 17 league goals? Don't know. We're walking on kind of shaky ground here. We haven't seen it before from Bamford. Uh, Diego Laurenti will be key to lead stability at the back. They're definitely a better side when he plays. But nobody ran further or faster than Leeds last season. And Bielsa is aiming to improve on that. And Andrew, if he means he's aiming to improve on that, surely the next stop 
is fifth or sixth. This is what he had to say. We're going to try to improve all aspects of our play. We have weak points, which we showed over the course of last season. Now is the time to correct those things and do things more effectively. I believe that in football, there is very little margin to invent or create new things. What we will try to do is improve the things we have been doing up until now. Yes, we are now better known to our rivals, but they are also better known to us. Mm. Andrew, if Leeds can actually <laughs> improve on last season and maybe just tighten up a little bit, Lorente playing more games will probably help that, then the European spots are well within their grasp. Why not? Uh, I actually love that answer. I'm in on them. Thank you. I'm bullish on Leeds, uh, so I'm with you. Um, however, I, I went with a different answer. I, I went with a, a more literal interpretation of largest jump in the table. So I went with Brighton, who were 16th last season. Uh, now, they're bringing their highly coveted manager back in Graham Potter. So with him comes cohesion, positive Ooh. momentum. Can I, can I, hate, I hate interrupting you there. Oh. Uh, people who listen to this podcast know how high I am on Graham Potter. Um, highly coveted. I don't know if that's true. Well, maybe true not. You're right. He seems to be rumored with a lot of jobs, but I don't yeah, know. That, yeah, he does and never gets them. Yeah. Always the bridesmaid. <laughs> I guess that's true. So here's, here's the thing with Brighton. And we talked about this a lot during last season. Can Brighton possibly be that unlucky again this season? They had an XG last year for the season of 51.6. They scored just 40 goals. I mean, like, come on. The only team with a worse difference of XG to actual goals was Fulham. Um, meanwhile, they were a sound defensive team. Their XG differential was actually fifth best in the league. So, you know, on paper, it might not be as easy for them. Uh, ben White is gone. Davy Proper is gone. In terms of incoming talent, only Enoch and Wepu appears to be ready to make a real impact with the first team. But I guess I'm just leaning on some of those previously stated metrics um, with the goal-scoring opportunities that they've shown they're able to generate. And still a solid defensive unit. They still have some good young talent in their system with Yves Basuma, Tar uh, Tarek Lamptey, although Lamptey's not fully healthy just yet, but he should be ready um, in probably a month or so. Uh, so I'm going to say Brighton can make a little bit of a move up. They're, they were 16th last year. It wouldn't necessarily shock me if we saw them somewhere around you know, solid mid-table, 10th, somewhere in there. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at them. And then, um, if that, and then if that happens, J.J., then Graham Potter will truly be highly coveted. I, and look, I... I'm all over that because I, I really love him as a manager. He's, he's been brilliant, I think. Um, just a, a little shout-out to Aston Villa as well, who've done a lot, a lot, a lot of business. Um, and uh, we'll talk about them on part two of the podcast. Oh, interesting. All right, next question here. We're rolling through this. Which player are you most excited about this season? It may sound weird, Andrew, but uh, I'm going to say Jaden Sancho. What, what's weird about that? Well, because, you know, I don't want to be excited about him. I want to be the opposite of excited about him. I want him to be bad, but I am excited about him because he is a quality player. Uh, he's a unique player too. Uh, an Englishman signed from a foreign club who never played a minute of senior competitive league football in England, not one minute, but is already seasoned and has had his talents on display on one of European football's biggest stages. He's already a veteran. Well, not a veteran, but he's already got Champions League experience and lots of Bundesliga experience. And he's coming back to England to play for the first time for the biggest club in England. That is, that is pretty interesting. For many English football supporters, Sancho's time in Germany, where he was an attacking superstar in the Bundesliga and Champions League, is like the children from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Have you ever read the book or, or, or seen that film? When I was little, I don't really remember it very well. 
Yeah. Well, so they they find it a different world through their wardrobe. This is, is this Narnia? Correct. So they go there and they have these amazing adventures and and carve out new lives for themselves after walking through the wardrobe. And they get older and they become kings and queens. Yet when they go back through the wardrobe, they are the same as when they left. All right. So it's, it's like Inception. Uh, haven't seen that. Looks too complicated for my feeble mind. As if none of the amazing experiences they had were real, Andrew. So maybe is that like Inception? Well, anyway, they, the, anyway yeah, we don't need to <laughs> dissect the movie. But the point being that that will be the way it will be for some supporters for Jaden Sancho. And I hear you saying, oh, come on, JJ, Borussia Dortmund, they're well watched around the world. Uh-uh. The American, I guarantee you, there are more Americans who have watched Jaden Sancho on a regular basis than there are English people or Manchester United supporters who have. That is a fact. The Bundesliga is not hugely watched in England. So the point is, it's not like he's starting from scratch, but he's suddenly coming in and he's being lauded as this huge, important part of Manchester United's like return to glory. For the last two years, we've been hearing about Jadon Sancho. And yet, what he's done in Germany and the Champions League will count for very little unless he hits the ground running in England. 38 goals, 51 assists in 104 Bundesliga games. It won't matter. It's going to be fascinating to see how he adapts in a new team, probably under a vastly different coaching style too, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer than he's had at Borussia Dortmund, and without his partner in crime, Erling Haaland. He's incredibly talented, and it's going to be interesting to see how he is utilised at Manchester United. But there is that thing. Like, remember during the summer, there was this clamour for Jack Grealish to play for England. Mm. Well, we've got to get him in the side. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. There wasn't the same clamor for Jadon Sancho, who at 21 is a far more accomplished player in terms of playing in the Champions League and in terms of what he's done in Germany than, uh, than Jack Grealish is. It's a great point. Well, that, that clamor will exist now. I mean, United fans will want to oh, see yeah. it immediately. United fans have been hotting him forever. Yeah. But, um, but it's a lot of pressure because, guess what? They have to go and win the title this season or at least be close to doing so. You can't have another false dawn like last season. Uh, let's see, JJ. For my player I'm most excited about the season, I'm going to go back to a club that you had just referenced. I'm looking at Leeds. Uh, there were a couple candidates from their squad. I considered Rafinha, one of the best newcomers in the Premier League last season, and I think that'll continue. But I'm going to go with Calvin Phillips, JJ. I think this summer was transformative for him. Uh, in being a regular first-teamer with England, started every one of their games at this tournament run. And I think his inclusion for them was a little bit maybe eyebrow-raising for some at first. And then we all saw him play in that first game. And we all realized, oh, like we, we thought he was good at Leeds, but I think now like seeing him on that stage, I think it, at least for me, it kind of just took my perception of Calvin Phillips as, uh, as a player to a different level. Um, so I'm excited to see like where that confidence boost of a summer like that and another year in the Premier League, where that can take him. Uh, this is what his teammate Liam Cooper said about him during the Euros. Uh, he said, uh, I've seen how hard he works every single day. I see how much he takes on, turns it into his game. For me, he's one of the best midfielders in the world right now. And uh, I think there's a lot of people who feel that way after this summer. And we'll see if uh, if he can kind of ride from a successful summer and take it into the season Um for Leeds, so I'm I'm very excited about Calvin Phillips. Uh, all right, JJ, this is a big one here. Uh, a lot of people interested in this one. How many true title contenders do you see right now? I'm going to go first because my answer is brief. Um, 
I, I actually think there are four. Uh, I, I don't I, think so. I think you can make a case for – I mean, look, obviously that case will vary slightly depending on each of these teams, more so for Man City. Uh, but I, I think you can make a case for City, United, Liverpool, and Chelsea. I do. Uh, I, I don't have too much more. I mean, you disagree, so I'm curious what you'll say, and then we'll go I, from there. I, I this this sounds like I'm saying the exact same thing, but I'm not. Um, I think City and Chelsea, and I think it's one then from either United or Liverpool, and I don't know who that's going to be. I feel like it's 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 probably more likely going to be Liverpool. Although I'm not, uh, we'll talk. I have more Liverpool to talk about on the next uh, podcast part two, but. Um, I'm not convinced by either Liverpool or United's credentials right now. So it's one of those, but the two contenders right now for me are Manchester City and Chelsea. Tell me, uh, we'll, we'll leave Liverpool aside for a sec because, you, like you said, you'll, you'll talk about them more next time on Thursday. Why would United not be? A um, couple of things. I think that... F- I'm not sure about that midfield, Andrew. I'm not sure about how it's set up. I'm not sure you can win a title with a... Let's let's look at your defensive midfield options there. Fred McTominay or Matic. One of those three is going to have to play in there or two of them will have to play together depending on how Solskjaer sets it up and I don't like that. What about Pogba? Where does he play him? How does he fit into this? Um, Also, do they have a centre-forward? An out-and-out centre-forward right now. Yeah, but he's 35 and he's Uruguayan. It's not... (laughs) There isn't another centre-forward there. It's Edson Cavani. Mm -hmm. How's that going to work across the whole season? They've got a hope that he's going to last. And and I don't even know how... We we heard about early Solskjaer that he was looking for that kind of front three um, that's going to, you know, be more like the Liverpool front three as opposed to playing with a front two or a lone striker up front. So that's going to be Sancho. And then who is it after that? I mean, Mason Greenwood, I don't know. Rashford will start the season injured. Uh, Cavani, don't know how he fits into that. I, there's just too many questions for me, and I don't trust the manager to be the one with the answers. Well, I guess that's that's the crux of it because if you – had a manager that you trusted there's something about a team that does have Pogba Bruno Fernandez Rashford like yeah and we'll get into their defense in a minute uh, I'm, I'm gonna have something on that coming up um, but like the the talent is undeniable yeah and, and we and you're right to mention Fernandez there because Bruno Fernandez in how many games last season got them over the line or or in some cases he couldn't do it all on his own and he looked a kind of a tired and spent character by the end of the season. I mean, it's not good enough just to say we've got these individuals here. What's the system? How is it going to work? How is it going to function? And I, I haven't seen that yet from Solskjaer. They'll be, they've got to be better, though. <laughs> they've got to be better with Varane and Sancho in, surely. Uh, the defensive midfielder thing is interesting because you are right. That does look like a hole. Now, look, some of these players, like McTominay, is, like, he's 24, you know, so like he's still fairly young. It may not. I actually, I actually like him. Of 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 yeah. the midfielders I named there, he's the one I like. But I, I do wonder if that blow of not having necessarily a locked like a Fernandinho, which by the way no one really has, but like not having that um, for Manchester United is that softened at all by a backline of you know Shaw, Varane, Maguire, Wan Bissaka. I mean that's a 
that's a really good defense. I don't want to go too. We're, we're, I'm going to have more on their defense in a sec. So, in fact, right. let's let's go to that right now. The next one here, best transfer so far. So I have two, um, and we'll stay with the conversation we're talking about for the reasons that I'm kind of laying out. One of my two is Rafael Varane coming in for Manchester United because I feel like this is okay. the moment that they've kind of been waiting for. There's been sort of this – I mean, Lindelof has done a decent job, but it, there's been a bit of a revolving door at that second center-back spot. And now I think this is it. Like, now they move forward comfortably with a Harry Maguire-Rafael Varane partnership. I know this is – the process for Varane getting into United has been slow. There was visa issues. I think he only had his medical today. So he probably won't be ready to start right at the beginning of the season for them. But I would think a couple weeks in, he should be acclimated and ready to go. Um, so I, I just – I feel like now United, that's not a hole for them anymore. Like whenever we've done these season previews over the past couple of years, talking about United, we've always looked at that and you know seen that as a potential weak spot. And I don't think you can do that anymore. So I think now they can, you know, they'll feel comfortable maybe not having that defensive shield there. They can maybe play a Matic or a McTominay and feel like they're still okay because what they have at the back in defense is is truly intimidating. Uh, so I think Varane is is a massive signing for them. It better be for you know they paid a good good amount of money for him. Uh, and the other one I have quickly um, a loan move actually a player that you mentioned earlier Billy Gilmore going from Chelsea to Norwich. I'm just excited about seeing him yep. play consistently. Like we started to see it at Chelsea under Lampard and then he hurt his knee which sucked. And then we started to see it in the Euros with Scotland and then he got COVID. Uh, now he'll have his chance. He should be a regular starter. Hopefully he'll see a lot of the ball. Norwich play a system that's fairly attack-minded. He's in the center of the pitch. So uh, I'm excited to now – he's just 20. Um, you know, We've heard about him for a few years since he was a teenager. Now we'll start to really get a sense of if this is a player that Chelsea will actually be able to utilize moving forward in, in future years, and, and Norwich will give him that chance. So, um, yeah, those two, uh, Gilmore and Varane, are my transfers. Yeah, I, I just had one, Andrew, that I picked out, and um, it just, it's just brilliant business. Um, Christopher Ayer, Celtic to Brentford. So like a newly promoted club landing a ball-playing centre-back from Celtic from under the noses of some very interesting club or interested club sides, much bigger sides than them, just seems like a brilliant bit, brilliant bit of business. Um, 17 million, great price too. Uh, potential for this to be Virgil van Dijk. I'm not saying he will be Virgil van Dijk, but a Virgil van Dijk type signing in the sense that Brentford, if they wanted to down the line, would probably sell him on for twice that figure at some point. Uh, and I don't know why I've gone into the financials of that. That is the way the game has corrupted me, Andrew. I'm doing You're the part mental- of the problem. I am part of the problem. Why, why did I even include that in my notes? But anyway, I just think he's a really good signing. And at 23, yeah, it's just, just a good bit of business um, for Brentford. Uh, all right, so, there you go. Uh, I like that one. It's a little bit off off the beaten path. I can't say I was expecting that, but the, hey, that's JJ. All right, he's smarter than us, and this is how it's, we learn. It's not. It's not. I'm just. I'm trying to give props to one of the teams that, if they fall by the wayside early in the season, won't get talked about. Uh, JJ, what's this next one? This was by your request. Well, hang on. It was by agreement. I, this is not a, a, Oh, no, you know, I'm, an, I'm all in on it, but th- you you specifically reached out and said, when you go through with our 10 questions, I want this one in there. I said, oh, I like it. All right, okay. Um, so I saw Carl uh, Anka of The Athletic. Yeah, he did this on Twitter, and I liked it a lot, so we're going to steal it, borrow it, whatever. Um, so Carl tweeted, the Premier League returns this week, and so does our bad predictions amnesty. 
You tell me your most instinctive, baseless prediction for the season. You get one mulligan at the end of the January window. I'll start. So his one was Tiago and Werner will win EPL Player of the Month awards. Uh, I mean, that's I could not s- crazy. No, I mean, well, but they're going to need to get some like injuries might have to happen for that to happen. Like I don't I know mean, that I don't know that Werner is going to be a, a definite starter for Chelsea. No, no, I mean, if if Lukaku is completed, you'd wonder where Werner fits into the picture and and Tiago. Um, well, Tiago will definitely pl- definitely play more than Werner will, I would say. Um, but yeah, so have you got any uh, yeah. bad All predictions right. yeah, for I, the bad I, predictions amnesty? I have one. I hope it's not a bad prediction. It's such a homer pick by me. But JJ, this is the year. This is the year, damn it, that Tottenham will finally win a trophy. <laughs> That's right, baby. The Europa Conference League. Let's go! You know where the final is for this, by the way? Albania. Yeah, Tirana, Albania. It holds just uh, 21,690 people. Very cool-looking venue, though. Love the stands behind the goal. Very steep. Uh, uh, listeners to this podcast know I have some Albanian friends. Um, so, uh, And one of them is, is over there for the summer right now. She's gone back to her hometown, um, Eva. And it's it looks like an absolutely beautiful place yeah. on the Adriatic. Yeah, so that's my uh, hopefully not... Bad opinion alert. Bad opinion alert. I'll be rooting for that to not be a bad opinion. But he said, "What did he say? We get a mulligan in January." If, so, like, if Tottenham have been eliminated from like every get, every cup, the Europa <laughs> Conference League, and they're like sitting mid-table, I might have to amend that. But I, that would surprise me. I think uh, I don't know. I, I can I could see. I just think it would be so them to like have had Mourinho. Okay, let's just like go all in. Let's sign a deal with the devil. Get this manager just so we can say we finally have the trophy. Have that blow up think, oh, we'll never win one, and then win one the next year. Like, it just feels like something I could see happening to them. This is the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> what All do right. you have? What's yours? Uh, my bad predictions, Amnesty, is this. I've got, I've got two, right? So the first one is, like, dreadful. Um, but I know, do you know what? I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to give you one. Stop trying to hedge your bets, JJ. This is my one. That Everton will be bad under Rafa. And I don't mean like, you know, ah, it's not great. They're hovering in around 10th. I mean, they'll be in a relegation oh battle God. by Christmas. All that right. they will be like fighting for their lives under Rafa Benitez. Wow. I actually don't hope that happens, but um, I'm not wishing for that at all. But that's, that is my, I, I have a feeling that it won't be because of any, uh, you know, Rafa was a red, now he's a blue, blah, blah. It's going to be none of that. It's that his tactics uh, for this kind of hodgepodge, like this Everton squad has been assembled, like, it's the Frankenstein's monster. It's like Marco Silva's team with a little bit of cumin and then a sprinkling of someone else. Like, just like not not a good mix of players, not an intended mix of players. And Rafa won't know what to do with them. Hmm. Wow, bleak, very bleak. Uh, all right, we only two left. Holy moly! Uh, all right, uh, JJ, two to go here. Which player needs to have a big season? Andrew, I've gone for the captain of Arsenal, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Mm-hmm. Good call. Um, as you said earlier, it's make or break for Mikel Arteta. Put up or shut up. Uh, no, Euro- no Europe to distract him. Uh, he has to get this Arsenal team moving in an upward trajectory. And uh, this is the team that appears to be trending younger. So Emil Smith Rowe, Tierney, uh, new signings like Ben White that you mentioned before, and the fans are very excited about this new signing, uh, Albert Lagkonga. So 
things are, you know, in a, in a, in a fashion. I mean, this is as low as Arsenal have been in in twenty years at least. But yeah. you know, things are looking up. Uh, we don't know if Granite Jacket will stay because, as we know, this year the window goes right to the end of August. But it seems like he will. But what about Arsenal's biggest wage earner and captain? His form fell off a cliff last season. Ten league goals after a, you know two stellar seasons of twenty two goals in the league. Um, then he got dropped for being late for the pre-North London derby meeting, which is like maybe forgivable if you're in your early 20s, but not when you're in your early 30s and you're like a veteran, you know, a leader in the team, the captain. Um, if this is all going to click for Arteta, having your captain a most experienced striker on form will probably be key. Um, and, I, you know, I don't like to bring it back to money again, but... Yeah, kind of have to with Arsenal because of some of the contracts that have been signed over the past few years where they've ended up not getting value for money. But he's on $345,000 a week. It's got to be better than yeah. 10 goals a season. Absolutely. Um, good call by you. Uh, it might be better than either of mine. Uh, I, I had two real quick. One of them requires not much explanation. Um, I, I, my first one, I said son. But that's more so with the caveat. Like you said, the transfer window remains open until August 31st. If the the Harry Kane-Man City thing does wind up happening and Tottenham are not able to get Latoro Martinez over the line, because I know that's been rumored in the last couple of days, uh, then, I mean, like, the burden that's going to fall to Son, young men, is just, like, borderline ridiculous that he's going to have to fill those shoes. But he'll be expected to. He's been a tremendous player for them for years, just signed a new big contract. So people are going to look to him and say, okay, your turn. Uh, but my, my main one, JJ, at 16 years old, all the way back in 2009, down in the championship, Wilfried Zaha made his debut for Crystal Palace. And now here we are all these years later. And you know, he had the brief period at United, short loan at Cardiff. But Wilfried Zaha, like as good as he is, here he is still with Crystal Palace. Uh, just amazing. He's going to be 29 in November. And if to me, if Palace are going to establish themselves as a solid mid-table side, not flirting with relegation, once again – it's going to fall on him. I mean, Eze is certainly a big part of it, too. But Wilfried Zaha is the face of that team. Um, you mentioned what I was going to mention here. Fascinating, I thought, what Patrick Vieira said about him. Zaha scored twice over the weekend in a, in a friendly against Watford. And I'll reiterate it, what you had said earlier that Vieira said afterwards uh, about Zaha. He said there's the other part of the game he needs to work on and concentrate, and that's work without the ball. How can we get... How can we be a little more compact? How can he defend better with the rest of the players? But his work ethic has been really good since I'm in this football club. Scoring goals, we know that he is capable of doing it. Vieira wants more from this guy. and you're, oh, I'd be careful with that. It's It will be interesting. I mean, look, at 29 years old, Zaha's been around for a long time. Like, I wonder... Do, is he too... Not that he's old, but like, can a zebra still change its stripes at that age? Like, is Zaha is what he is? Like, is this just what he is? A, a terrific, prolific, attack-minded player. Right there with Grealish in terms of drawing fouls. Um, you know, scores huge goals for that club. Like, if they want him to do more, get back defensively, okay, maybe he'll do it. But I wonder if that will come at a cost in some of what he provides for them in attack. Just, I don't know, just going to be very interesting. I remember a game from last season at Sellers Park. It was during the uh, during the restart, I believe, and... He was wide on the right, and he was supposed to be picking up the right winger. It might have been Leeds. I can't be sure. Uh, someone will tell me. <laughs> and Andrew, he just lets the winger go. Like, he, had, he has no spatial awareness. It's like, not my job. I'm not involved in this phase of play. 
And that was under Roy Hodgson. So Vieira has to do a careful, careful balancing job. In, in, and he's right to ask him to do more when he's not on the ball. But, you know, I wouldn't be calling that out in preseason, to be honest with you. Yeah, just uh, it definitely when I saw I saw the same article and I like was kind of reading, reading and saw that. I was like, oh, mm. that's interesting. So, yeah, uh, Wilfried Zaha, though, God, what he means to that club. Uh, massive. All right, last one, JJ, the final question here. What are you personally most excited about this season? Andrew, it's very easy for me. It's crowds, full stands. How good is it going to be when you see a pocket of away fans tucked in the corner of some stand like at Carroll Road or even at Goodison Park erupt after a late winner or an equaliser? That little explosion. The best. I have... I've missed that so much, and I know you have too. So I that, also s- well, real quick before you move off of that, because that was also my main one. Uh, just like oh. this is of the ten questions we just asked, this was the easiest one. Fans being back in the grounds again, and in honor of that, I kind of went back just a very quick twenty seconds of um, not even just in the Premier League, but some of our all-time favorite roars. Oh, to kind of get that feeling. Thank you. Are you ready? Just just four quick ones, but they're all just they're classics. Here you go. This could be a huge moment. Goes again. Oh! It's astonishing. Here's Hulk. Dini. Aguero. Oh my God, the goosebumps, oh, God. JJ. The sport, this sport, more than most, I think, has missed that. It's just like I was thinking about it. Like soccer without that, without those, just like guttural roars from crowds after goals are scored it's like it's like watching a movie without a soundtrack like try watching the dark knight with like without any Hans Zimmer soundtrack in the background it's a different movie it's just like part of it and so like to get that back without it being manufactured oh I can't wait I hope it's safe I hope you know they're doing this right and it's not premature Um, obviously that's first and foremost and most important yeah. But assuming that it is being done responsibly, it's just like we saw it at the Euros, what it added. It's like oh, a, it's like watching a different game. It's crazy. It feels so good, man. And and thank you for doing that because one thing about this podcast is we have found certain things that are our favorite things and roars, crowd roars is one of them. Here's can, another can you thing. identify the four that were there? Um well, it's a bit difficult for me. So, uh, one was the Troy Deeney goal. Uh-huh. One was Sergio Aguero's goal and yeah. the Aguero. Yeah. Um. Uh. One of them was the the free kick against uh, Scotland v England. Yeah. And what the the first one? The other the other one was Jamie Vardy versus Manchester United in the uh, in, the crazy five three in the five three, which was um, which is uh, was it Di Maria's debut? He had a brilliant game. That was just a brilliant game. Yeah. And the the King Power Stadium was just. Electric that day. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. And this is one other thing. And it, it comes from the crowd and it comes from supporters being back. And it's the ritual of football. This went viral yesterday and I loved every bit of it. And by the way, for people who don't know, this isn't the Liverpool cop. This is a different cop. I'm not sure. I think it might be uh, West Brom or somewhere like that. But a lot, of, a lot of different stadiums have a cop. This is from at Spell Steph. And it went viral yesterday. I've sat on the same row of the cop for 25 years. Three seats to my left, an old boy has always sat there. Every match, he'd shuffle down to me before kickoff and ask, what do you know then? We'd chat and he'd tell me about his dog, etc. 
He died during lockdown and it's made me irrationally sad. And the next tweet. I didn't even know his name. I just chat to him every other week for about the last 20 years. Football, eh? That's it, that's it, man. It's There's, so true. It, it, re- it reminds me of my father when he started going to um, Sligo Rovers games regularly. My dad would go super early, right? And he'd have a cup of tea and he'd sit up in the same seat before every game and watch the warm-up. Like, he'd be there before the players were out in the field and he always wanted to watch the warm-up and he had this complete ritual around going to the game. And for some people, that is their everything. And um, even if it's not your everything, it's such a nice release. And look at that, 25 years, the same fella sitting beside you. Didn't even know his name, but you'd talk with him all the time. And um, and no, that it's... connection, for that to have been broken at any point is... Um, it's terrible, and um, God rest that man that passed away. Yeah, and it's so relatable. I mean, like yeah. for me growing up, we had season tickets for the Sixers uh, for my whole childhood up through college, and the your, the ritual, your, it's so true. Like my dad and I, before each game, we go to Mara's Pizza in uh, Passyunk Ave in South Philly, and from there to the to the game, and it's just like it's such a huge part of my childhood. Like it's such fond memories. And you're right, the fact that that's now going to be brought back for so many oh. people and for so many kids to be able to now start up those traditions uh yeah it just it means so much um some of my other ones are far more trivial in terms of things that i'm personally excited about this season uh i'll start with the least of the trivial and something that you touched on earlier but i'm very excited to see josh Sargent in the premier league this season that'll be fun i hope he gets some some legit minutes at narch i hope he will i think he will just on that again i I don't like to always bow down to like the 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 backroom boffins at all these clubs that they know more than us. But the fact that Daniel Farka and his team see sees something in Josh Sargent for me makes me hugely optimistic mm. and gives me a kind of a confirmation bias that I was right to say there's something about him because his goals record doesn't show it. But when he plays, Andrew, I'll be fascinated to see how he's utilized because, like I said before, I think he's more of a of a link man. Uh, of a you know a second striker than he is an out and out striker. I, I I'm I'm when I saw that transfer, I was like, yes, get in. Well, it's fascinating because this summer, in the wake of the summer, you know, I think Josh Sargent, the stock on him from an American perspective in terms of holding down that position or being the guy for that position, like we all know he's good, but he just hasn't done enough where we could say, okay, he's our guy. And so then the summer happened, the Gold Cup happened, and this was a chance for Daryl DK to take that spot and say, you haven't, like, Josh Sargent, you're cool, uh, you know, we're friends, whatever, but, like, you haven't done enough, I'm going to take it, it's mine now. And DK didn't do it. And so, like, now World Cup qualifying is coming up. We're building up towards a World Cup in the winter of 22, so it's not that far off. Um, like, Sargent now going to the Premier League, this is his chance. Like, he can take it back. Not that he's lost it, but like he can make it his if he gets a chance and plays well, and, maybe, and, and it'll erase all doubt because he'll be doing it in the Premier League. And so, by the way, not to be totally American centric, I do like the signing of uh, Millet Rashika because again, he's not an out-and-out striker. He plays a little bit wider, some often off the left-hand side, but he's he's actually a really nice player. And uh, maybe him and, and Sargent can can form the relationship they never really managed to do at Werder Bremen. Yeah, there's hopefully. a reason they've done this. And it's not just because both players are, were coming on the cheap. Yeah. Two other silly ones for me that I'm excited about this season. JJ, we talked about this, but the change of the offside rule, no one's going to be missing that armpit offside anymore. That gone. 
Thank God. And one final one, because I know we complained about this like little babies last season. Finally, JJ, finally, Peacock has been made available on Samsung Smart TV so I can actually watch Peacock games on something beside my iPhone. I was so happy when I saw that. You Andrew. You should have been there to see me just like high-fiving my kids. Oh, Peacock, it's on Samsung now. You pulled your you pulled your jumper or your sweater up above your head and you ran through the room doing the airplane. Yeah, um, yeah. W- one thing about that you say it's a small thing, it isn't a small thing. The amount of annoyance about the um, castability availability of of this, I mean everything about this. I hope they have a rewind section too in it. Yeah, yeah. To this day, I, I really think of all the podcasts we've done over the years and all the things we said, all the dumb comments we've made, I really think the most reaction we've ever gotten was about week two of last year's Premier League season when like the entire Sunday slate was put on Peacock. And our Twitter just exploded. I've yeah. never seen that. kind of Like people were fired up in a way that like we are not used to. So yeah, you're right. Maybe it's not a small thing. Um, by the way, I'll tell you what's in a small thing is going through a podcast without really getting in depth on Chelsea. Thank God there's another podcast because oh I could not take their supporters whining about it. We Oof. didn't really do much on Chelsea, City, Liverpool. There's going to be a lot of unhappy people, but you're right. Like we said at the start of this podcast, this is only part one. We have a part two coming up. Like I said, our, uh, our hope is to speak with Danny Higginbotham. We're planning for that on Thursday. Uh, we'll do our predictions in that one. And it's the mailbag special, so let's go. Like I, I, I hope very much that fans of those teams send in mail because I really want to talk about them. Well, look, it's our it's our preview. If people don't send mail on those teams, we'll talk about them anyway. No, we got a lot of stuff already. I've already, got sift, I've got to sift through it. I've got to grade it. I've got to rank it, and then I've got to uh, present it to you, and you sign off on it, and then we send it to the. Uh, it's a, it's a, a committee that then. Uh, has the ultimate say on what happens. It's very, very like communism here. (laughs) Uh, Well, this was a ton of fun from the messy stuff up through part one of the EPL uh, preview special. Before we get out, JJ, how about one more time? Like, will these roars ever get old? I'm going to hit this one more time for you. This could be a huge moment. Ronnie scores! Goes again. Oh! It's astonishing. Here's Hulk. That is beautiful music to our ears. JJ, to you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 